Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. Alrighty, Mom, what story do you have for us today? Hi, I'm going to be telling you about Gabe Watson and Tina Watson and their honeymoon. Ooh, sounds interesting. What are you going to be telling us about today, Declan? Today I'm going to be talking about the aerial school incident. Aerial school. Okay. I don't think I know about that one. I'm excited to hear about it. It's pretty pretty interesting. It's one of my favorite uh, stories from this category. I'm not going to spoil it just yet. Okay, and cool. And to accompany my story, I have a drink called the Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. That's such an interesting uh, name for a drink. Yeah, it was kind of hard to find, but it fit my story pretty well. So, Cool. Let me tell you how to make the drink. Yes. So this calls for a quarter ounce of orange juice, quarter ounce of grapefruit juice, and a quarter ounce of pineapple juice, and then one ounce of absolute current. But we couldn't find absolute current, so we got raspberry-flavored vodka instead. <laughs> It was, I don't know if it's going to be a close replica, but I did try to look up like what current flavor is similar to, and I got a couple of things that said raspberry. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I don't know who on earth sells absolute current, but if you find it near not, you, go ahead and use it. <laughs> yeah, not the liquor stores that we go to and our towns it's you know i mean you're in a di completely different town and neither one of us could find it yeah exactly granted both are fairly small towns but that's true still that's true uh pour all the ingredients in a shaker uh with ice shake them up and pour over ice in a rocks glass ready to all take right. a sip yes i am ready to take a sip did you garnish no i didn't garnish i didn't the drink didn't call for any garnishes, so I just really served it I up. Thought it, I thought it was garnished with a lime wedge, so I garnished with, well, a, maybe oh. that's my drink. Oh. Honestly, yours sounds better because when I tasted this uh, as I was making it, I had a little extra in the shaker, and mm -hmm. the one thing I noticed is that it needed lime juice. So oh. you're thinking All right. two steps ahead right now. Who knew? Right, let's give it a sip. Okay. really good i just i think it needs lime that's about it yeah you're i think you're right i think you're right and it it's might have been different though. with the current because current's supposed to be more of a kind of a sour taste in and of mm. itself i think i don't know i've never had current so i don't know i don't even know what current is so i don't it's have a, a history for this 
Okay. So that raspberry is kind of close. Mm-hmm. So I don't have history for this drink, so I'm going to do the history of flavored vodka. Oh, that's fun. So in America, flavored vodka as a category started in the late 1980s, with citrus flavors being among the earliest commercial successful flavors. The pace and diversity of new expressions picked up in the 90s to a point where house-made infusions uh, often on display became a bar trend. So let I want to know you, how they make it. Like, I think you make vodka and then put fruit in it and then let it sit in it and, and then take sit. the fruit out. But mm. I, that at least that's how I know how to do it at home. It's probably different yeah. in like the absolute distillery, right? We tried it once. Um, I think it was with blackberries. And I don't remember. I think it turned out pretty good, but it took a really long time. Like, I remember it sitting in the fridge for like a month or something. Oh, gosh. So, I don't know. Probably easier to just go buy it. Yeah, probably. Cool. So, so tell me about tell this you. aerial school, right? Yes. So All right. The aerial school is a private school in the agricultural center of Rua, Zimbabwe. Most students were white kids from wealthy parents. And around the time of this incident, there were multiple UFO sightings around the area. So Oh, this is a UFO story. Yes. Okay. So a couple uh for the past like couple weeks before this incident happened, um people from all around Zimbabwe reported multiple UFO sightings. And they'd say like they would see a big flash in the sky and then it would like kind of streak across the sky shortly and then disappear. So oh. a lot of people thought that they were like meteors or something, but uh, since there were so many, there were a couple of um, UFO investigators down in Zimbabwe at the time. Oh, that's convenient. So uh, at 10 a.m. on September 16, 1994, the students of Ariel School were out on their mid-morning break when they spot three silver ships hovering above them and the ships began to land. Oh, shit. When they sensed that the children were panicking, the ships rose back up to the original position, and only one of the silver ships landed in the field next to the school. The majority of the children ran up to investigate, and when they arrived, they were greeted by a small gray man dressed in black robes. And he had the typical alien. He was three to four feet tall, skinny, long arms, big head, big black eyes. Well, that's nice. They all look the same. Yeah. 
So after seeing this, some of the kids ran away in fear and tried to get the teachers. Uh, and some of the kids that stayed explained telepathically communicating with these creatures. Oh. I don't know how, but the creatures, they said the creatures weren't talking, but they understood everything they were saying. Oh, that that's so creepy. Yeah, super, oh, super weird stuff. That's just, oh, creepy, creepy. Okay. So the aliens began to explain that if humanity doesn't change their ways, that a bleak dystopian world would be in their future. They maintained an environmental stance and explained that we were destroying our planet and that we are in danger. Well, yeah. I mean, that's obvious. (laughs) The children claimed that the creatures did not speak, but all the kids that had decided to stay experienced a similar situation of this creature communicating with them. Oh... That makes me feel so uncomfortable. So while all this was happening, one of the kids had gotten a teacher to come help. But before the teacher arrived, the f- uh, but before the teacher arrived to the field, the ship had taken off and was gone. Children say that the creature returned to the ship and disappeared in a bright red flash and shot up into the sky. So be consistent with what the other people around the area were seeing. Hmm. The teacher scolded the kids for leaving the school property and rounded up all the students before returning back. The following day, reporters who were in the area covering the sightings stopped by the school to interview the kids. The reporters separated the kids and asked them to draw what they had seen and 35 of the children had drawn very similar pictures. So that's a lot. Interviewers, yeah, interviewers determined that too many kids had aligning stories to discount this event. And other nearby schools had witnessed this from afar, so they had seen some objects on the same day, but they didn't land at that school. They landed at the aerial school. Okay, so other kids in the area saw the UFOs in the area and landing far away, but not landing in front of them? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And Wild. many of the children have been interviewed since and maintain their stories to this day. So wow. I would encourage people to go and look up some of the interviews with these kids. Because the stories that they're saying are, it's just like mind-blowing. And they're explaining basically all everything that happened, but they go way in depth and they talk about exactly like what the aliens were talking about. Oh. How old did you say the kids were? Uh, they were in grade school. I think Okay. from like anywhere from like second to sixth grade, I believe. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah, they were young, young kids. How that, like, affected their lives. You know, could you imagine that? That'd be amazing. So they have interviews with um, the kids as they're older. Yeah. And 
they kind of talk about how it affect them and that a lot of them had nightmares for like a while after the fact yeah <laughs> yeah so after all this happened and the kids got home that obviously went to go tell their parents and almost none of the parents believed them until well, like no. the the reporters came and they like were actually they had to be told like no this possibly could have actually happened to your children like by the uh, investigators and stuff so then they were like oh shit sorry oh, shit. maybe little we should have believed my bad <laughs> oops <laughs> wow wow that is rough oh my yeah. goodness uh, the fact that so many people witnessed it though like 35 kids all yeah, had and that they all have stories and pictures yeah yeah that's that's super scary so i mean obviously the ufo um investigators that were there at the time they you know believe the story but what's the and every time we have a ufo story it seems like in the u.s there's some explanation for it you know there's it was a weather balloon or it was a drone or whatever do you remember what like the official story was yes so they tried to coin it off as mass hysteria because oh. apparently this time of the year was like finals for them so it was very stressful a lot of the kids were under a lot of pressure and okay. there had been cases of mass hysteria in that area before like years before so okay. they kind of tried to coin it off as mass hysteria until the investigators were like, there's too many people with the same story for this to just be mass hysteria. Right. And, and typically with like mass hysteria, it, it makes people like super, it, it just completely fucks with their energy levels. Basically, they can just start laughing out of control, like mm. going hysterical, given the name. Right. <laughs> but I, none of the kids were really like freaking out about it too much. It was just like, Hey, Hey, Hey teacher, this happened. And the teacher was like, no, it didn't. And then investigators came and interviewed all the kids and. Wow. Kind of determined that, no, this is legit. This could have happened. Like wow. these kids aren't lying. That's amazing. Yeah. It's. My God. It's incredible. I, I wish yeah. something like that would have happened to me. I want a cool story. <laughs> You've got some cool stories. None that involve UFOs that I know of. You have shadow people or Sasquatch in the forest when you went camping. I don't have anything I've got like, like that. A, a bogus UFO story. It's it's like two seconds. It's just I was at football practice one day. I saw like this giant. It looked like a blimp, but. We don't have blimps anywhere near us. We're a little no. small farming town. So knew it wasn't a blimp, but it was at like airplane height. So it was just like a little speck, but it was the shape of a blimp. And huh. I like, we were in the huddle at the end of practice listening to Coach Chalk. So I like nudged the person next to me. I was like, what is that? You see that? 
And he looked up at it and he's like, I don't know what that is. And then coach yelled at us for looking up at the sky. So Not paying we, attention. I, yeah, we both looked back at him. And then a couple of minutes later, I, I like looked back up and it wasn't there. I wonder if it was a drone not to, you know, be in the. It was pretty high up. I don't. And it was huh. it was like a football. It didn't have any fins or wings or anything. It was just like a football in this guy. Weird. Yeah, Weird. I don't know. But no idea what it is. I want like a real experience oh. though, like a well, yeah, an hour long story about it, not a <laughs> thirty okay. second one. <laughs> don't wish that on yourself because you don't sure. know what that would end I don't up being get like. Probed. <laughs> no, exactly. That would be terrifying. No thanks. Mm-mm. Hi, we're three siblings that walk into a bar podcast. I'm Deshay, the oldest sibling. I'm Sage, the middle sibling. I'm Storm, the youngest sibling. Have you ever wondered what it's like to have a drink with three siblings? Yes, three siblings that have a knack for telling true crime and paranormal stories. Come listen every Monday to find out what happens when three siblings walk into a bar. So what story do you have for us today, Mom? I am going to tell you about Gabe and Tina Watson. So let me kick this off here. All right. Many newlyweds cap off the wedding celebration with a honeymoon. Sometimes it's a few days off from work to spend time together while other couples splurge on a big trip to another country. It's common to plan activities like hiking, sightseeing, experiencing the local culture for your destination, things like that. (laughs) One newly married couple chose to go to the beautiful country of Australia with an intent to go scuba diving. Sadly, that scuba diving trip would end in tragedy and massive questions would arise. Criminal charges would result. What really happened to this newlywed couple? Let me tell you about it. So a little introduction to Gabe and Tina Watson. David Gabriel Watson went by the name Gabe, and Tina Thomas met when they were attending college at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. As a child, Tina suffered from a heart condition that was not successfully treated with medication. She received heart surgery when she was 24 years old, which corrected the problem. They began dating in January 2001. They were married in October of 2003 when they were both 26 years old. Gabe had been interested in scuba diving for a while and wanted to show his interest uh, to Tina. She started scuba diving lessons before the wedding. So basically the year that they got married, several months ahead of time, she started scuba diving lessons because she wanted to see what it was all about. She became a certified diver before they were married. At the time of their honeymoon, Gabe um, had accrued 55 dives and Tina had five. So she had a lot less experience than he did, which comes into play in the rest of the story. 
Gabe also claimed that he was a trained and certified rescue diver, yet he had limited open ocean diving experience and Tina had none. So a lot of their diving experience was in like lakes and quarries and things like that. It wasn't in the ocean. Okay. The couple's ocean dive was from the Spoil Sport dive ship, and they went to a popular dive destination called the Shipwreck. Um, it was the Shipwreck of the SS Yongala. That area is reported as somewhat of a difficult dive site, but pretty popular for the area, and um, it's one of the top dives in the world, apparently. It'd be kind of cool. I've never dived around a sunken a shipwreck or anything i think that'd be kind of neat kind of terrifying too probably uh, we did that snorkeling at a shipwreck and that fucking freaked me out did we was it In a shipwreck bahamas yeah it was like there was like a little oh. shelf and at the bottom of the shelf there was uh like a sunken sailboat there's yeah. like a bunch of sharks down there swimming around it. That was fucking It was freaky. a long ways away. It was a long it was. ways away. It was though. hard to see, but yeah, it was freaky. Yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah. It's like we're on a boat. Just, we gotta take a boat out of here, and there's a sunken one right yeah. there. <laughs> well, but you don't like the open ocean. So Yeah, but that's like driving through a blizzard and you see one car just spun off the road and wrecked, and you're like, ah shit, I'm driving a car too. <laughs> I've never thought about that before. It makes sense. <laughs> the same situation. It, it I is. could be stranded out here too. <laughs> it is. I guess I never thought about it like that, but you're right. Oh, gosh. So the day before the dive, Tina and Gabe met with the dive crew. It was recommended that since Tina was a new diver, she should have an orientation dive. But they declined the offer since Tina would be diving with Gabe. He had a lot of experience, so that was the thought. Although the crew was like, you really should have an orientation dive, but they were like, no, no, I'm going to be diving with my husband, and he's, Who you know. Who has no open ocean experience. Very little, but they kind of, you know, skimmed over that. On dive day, October 22nd, the couple declined the dive uh, with a dive master, so Instead of having an orientation dive, they they said no to that. And then on dive day, they were offered to have a dive master go with them. And they said, no, we're fine diving by ourselves. Because supposedly, you know, Gabe is really experienced and he's a rescue diver. Like he has had training in how to deal with rescuing people. Okay. So the couple entered the water at about 10:30 a.m. With a few within a few minutes of the start of the dive, Tina was in trouble. Gabe was unable to help Tina. She quickly sank to the sandy bottom of the ocean, almost a hundred feet below. Gabe returned quickly to the boat, requested help from the dive instructor. Rescuers found Tina lying on her back on the bottom of the ocean floor with her arms stretched outwards. Tina had been underwater for about... Uh-huh. Yeah, it gets better. It gets better. 
Tina had been underwater for about 10 minutes when she brought back when she was brought back to the surface, but onto a nearby boat where there was a doctor on board. Uh, he was actually another diver and had seen that something was going on, so he surfaced and was there. He um, spent 40 minutes trying to resuscitate her, but was not successful. Gabe, however, remained on his own boat the whole time. So after the incident, he was reviewed, he was interviewed about what happened. And this was part of his story. He reported that the ocean current was stronger than expected and that Tina had signaled to go back. He stated that Tina looked worried and accidentally knocked off his mask and air regulator. But by the time he was able to get his gear back on, Tina had already begun sinking. Gabe said he tried to swim down to her, but was unable to reach her for some reason. Since he couldn't reach her, he surfaced to get help from others. Gabe also reported that he was suffering from an ear condition that prevented him from diving down to help Dina to help Tina, but his condition was not reported to everyone. So he said, I've got this ear thing and I can't, I couldn't go deep enough to get her, but he didn't bother to tell everyone that. Just a few people heard that part of the story. Although Gabe claimed to be a trained rescue diver, he stated that his training did not include directions on how to get someone in trouble back to the surface which of course is concerning to authorities. If you take a, I've haven't, I've been a certified diver. I've gone on dives. They teach you in the class, like what to do if you're in trouble, what to do if your partner's in trouble, that kind of stuff. But it's not rescue diving, which I would assume is different and more detailed for like, if someone's really in trouble, how to go get them. And he said he was a trained rescue diver, so, and certified. So, of course, the authorities are like, this is what you were trained to do, and you have a certification in it, but you don't know how to help someone who's in trouble? That didn't make any sense to well, them. Well, yeah, when you're, like, going deep, can't you get the bends or something? You can if you come up too that fast. Can, like, kill you? It can if you come up too yeah, fast. So- Someone's at Which, the bottom and you're a rescue diver. You have to know about that. Like all that. Right. There's probably he, a bunch of information that you need to know. Yeah. But he was saying like she was in trouble and my rescue diving training didn't teach me how to save someone in that kind of circumstance. Where'd you get your rescue diver certificate? Walmart? Come right. on. Yeah. So, <laughs> Like I said, concerning to authorities. The autopsy was done the following day, and the cause of Tina's death was listed as drowning, but the cause of drowning was undetermined. So they said she drowned, but we don't know why she drowned, basically. They did, however, rule out her pre-existing heart condition. They said that wasn't part of what happened. That wasn't a factor. Several days later, another diver had his underwater film developed, and there was a picture of Tina lying on the ocean floor. He didn't know that he had taken that picture and had gotten Tina in the picture. The picture was made public and put out there 
through the media. Prior to the wedding, Gabe had taken out trip insurance. So like you go on a vacation, you take vacation insurance, and he had done that. After he returned home, he put in a claim for the insurance and requested benefits to pay for an interrupted trip and medical expenses, but the policy didn't include scuba diving as an activity, so Gabe was not paid from the policy. Gabe's retelling of the events were concerning, obviously. Some thought his account was implausible, and there were obvious conflicting details. For several months following Tina's death, Gabe made some statements and actions that were upsetting to Tina's family. They were, of course, concerned about how this tragedy had ever happened, especially when Gabe was an experienced diver and trained rescue diver. Her family believed Tina's death was no accident but premeditated murder, and they started talking to authorities about what do we do about this. Tina's father had even traveled to Australia in an effort to get some answers, and he was told that they were still investigating everything. So not only did he go to Australia to talk to the authorities there, but he was also talking to law enforcement in Alabama in the U.S. because he thought something had been going on for a while. So law enforcement was notified when it was discovered that several items left at Tina's grave had been removed and thrown away. So the family had left things and, and it was missing and destroyed and things like that. They put up cameras and they basically did a stakeout on the grave and they found Gabe was caught destroying artificial flowers from Tina's grave that her family had left. Yeah. Not a good look. Uh, no. No, not at all. Not thinking and you do shit being, like that. Was he being investigated at this time or? Yeah. They were still looking. Yeah, everybody that... was still looking into the death and how it happened because <laughs> he had told, like, he said, like, his story kept changing and there were different details and they were all saying, this doesn't make any sense. It, the whole story yeah. didn't make sense to them. So in regards to the fake flowers, he claimed that Tina didn't like fake flowers, and that's why he was getting rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's a fucking real piece right. of work. And, right? Um, and he apparently, it was in a statement like from the i believe it was through his attorney um that he had had animosity towards her family because they were accusing him of killing her which i understand like if you didn't do anything wrong and somebody is saying you did something wrong you're going to be upset about it you're going to be pissed off and but yet you don't do shit like that but whatever so in <laughs> 2005 Gabe filed a lawsuit against the trip insurance company. He was seeking payment of $45,000 to compensate for Tina's accidental death, the interrupted trip, miscellaneous fees that were accrued due to her death, like making phone calls international and things like that. He wanted to be paid back from that. And then he wanted some payment for pain and suffering. The lawsuit was eventually dismissed at his request three years later because Gabe was concerned that his statements in the lawsuit 
would be used against him in a criminal case in Australia. So he was basically like, I'm going to sue you. Oh, but wait, I have to tell you stuff in order for you to pay me. And that might be used against me. So never mind. Okay. Yeah. For years, police in Australia and Alabama investigated the incident. It was discovered that days before the wedding, Gabe had requested for Tina to increase her life insurance policy. But the policies ultimately didn't change. And I read or I was listening to another podcast that basically said he had said, we need to change your, you know, we need to increase these life insurance policies. And she went to her insurance agent and he was like, we don't need to do this before your wedding. You're, we're going to change your policies in a couple of months anyway. So let's just do it then. And she was like, okay. So the policies didn't change, but he had asked her to change them. So law enforcement had evaluated Gabe's statements directly after Tina's death and then days later. So they interviewed him the day of, and then a couple of days later, they interviewed him again and they found some concerning things, you know, the inconsistencies, there were some lies that they were pretty, they felt were pretty apparent. They also took, they took a look at the photo that was taken by the other diver showing Tina's position on the ocean floor which was a different location than what Gabe had said it would be. So he said this happened in this location and then she would have sunk down to the bottom. And essentially she should have been closer to the shipwreck, but she was nowhere near the shipwreck when that picture was taken and she was on the ocean floor. So they were like, okay, well he keeps lying to us and he's telling us all this bullshit. She Did she have a bunch of rocks stuffed in her Vest too. <laughs> Funny that you should ask about that. So they oh, looked shit. at how much weight she was carrying. So for people who aren't divers, you have a couple of important pieces of equipment. You have an inflation vest, or um, I think it's a BCD is what it's called, that will help you come to the surface. But you also put weights on a belt that will help you sink. And she had more than she should have had for her weight. So they looked at how much weight she'd been carrying that would normally help her descend in the water. She was carrying more than twice the amount that experts would recommend for someone her size. There was some discussion about how when she first got in the water, she was like, I need more weight. So no one actually saw her put any more weight on, but she was carrying more weight than what she should have been because the weight that you put on your belt is based on like your body size because Mm -hmm. you want to overcome your gear, but you also want to be able to come back up using your inflation vest, your BCD. And she had way too much weight on. So they were saying, well, that's why she sunk. And he said he couldn't get down to her and why she sunk faster than he would have expected. But if he was a trained diver, he should have known these no, things. No, she had too much weight. So, yeah. Right. They investigated Gabe's rescue diving training and verified that he had, in fact, been trained in bringing unconscious divers back to the surface. So his whole story about they never told, they never taught me what to do was bullshit because they looked at his training and in the training, it said, yeah, we taught him how to bring people back up that were unconscious. So Hmm. another lie. 
Investigators could not find a reasonable explanation as to how exactly this tragedy occurred, so they were obvious concern by the Australian and Alabama investigators that this was indeed a murder and not just a terrible accident. Gabe returned to Australia in May of 2009 to stand trial for Tina's murder. He ended up pleading guilty to manslaughter and was convicted of this charge. Basically, he pled guilty to not providing her the proper assistance that could have saved her life. So if he's an experienced diver, and he's a trained rescue diver and all of that, he should have known what to do. So basically, he said, yeah, I failed to do what I should have done. So that's what they convicted him of. He was sentenced to four and a half years which was suspended after he served 12 months. So he had to serve 12 months and they were going to set him free. Upon his release from Australian prison in November 2010, he was extradited back to Alabama to stand trial for murder and kidnapping. Alabama prosecutors believed to have evidence that Gabe had started planning Tina's murder before the wedding. However, in February 2012, the trial judge formally acquitted Gabe prior to the defense presenting a case because the judge felt there was not adequate evidence to proceed. Gabe is a free man who has remarried and maintains his innocence. And that is the Damn. end of my story. Yeah. You do a lot of scuba diving death stories. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you're not going to go scuba diving. That's why. <laughs> I've been scuba diving, and I only kind of thought I was going to die one time. It's fine. Yeah, I, that story terrifies me too. <laughs> I don't. Uh, it wasn't that bad. Your case I didn't it die. Was bad. I'm still it alive. Have. It was a funny story. I wouldn't call it funny. It was <laughs> I funny. I wasn't laughing. <laughs> I bet you it weren't laughing either. <laughs> well, I you wasn't at the time. <laughs> I was scared. I was scared that I was kicking as hard as I could kick and I wasn't moving because I got caught in a rip current and all I could think about was getting sucked around the end of the island where we were and getting eaten by a big shark because they warned us, don't go around the corner because that's where the big sharks live. Ugh, terrifying. <laughs> the funny part was that in my mind, as I was kicking really hard and thinking about how they said, don't go around the back, all I could think of was the big shark, Bruce, from Finding Nemo. <laughs> I pictured him in my mind right on the backside of the little island with like a little neckerchief because he didn't want to get blood on him. <laughs> yeah. That's what was in my Giant, mind. And crooked he, smile. Yep. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I thought about. So that was the funny part. But I didn't die, obviously. It True. took Dad a couple of <laughs> seconds to figure out that I wasn't next to him, but I'm fine. <laughs> and I have a funny story to tell about it now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me about the chaser you have picked for today. 
So my chaser today is the story of baby Melissa. And I got this story from the Instagram account, uh, Ride the News, all one word. So baby Melissa went missing on August 23rd, 1971. Melissa's mother was working that day and needed to find a babysitter to pick up her daughter and hired a stranger through a newspaper ad. The woman took the baby and never returned. And oh my Texas Texas police and the FBI quickly set up uh, an investigation to find her, but the the case went cold. <sighs> so uh uh, Melissa's parents um, investigated a couple of leads and met with a couple people who they believed were Melissa. This had ha- happened a couple years after she went missing, so she was older by then. But oh. uh, DNA tests proved they weren't baby Melissa. And uh, through a 23andMe test um, on November 16th, or November 6th, sorry, they. Uh, the parents had revealed that they're holy shit. I'm struggling through this story. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I should have wrote a script on this. I realized while I was making my drink <laughs> that I didn't have a chaser. So I just found this real quick. So Melissa's father took a 23 and me test and it said that he had a granddaughter that he had never met before. So he met up with oh. the granddaughter and through the 23andMe was able to get into contact with Melissa. And oh, it was the granddaughter. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So Melissa, at this point, was going by the name Melanie. Because I guess the kidnappers uh, decided to name her that. So Melanie took the, took the DNA test and it uh, confirmed that she was their daughter. And on November wow. 29th, 51 years after her abduction, she finally reunited with her family. Oh my and gosh. She had three children at the time and decided to change her name back to Melissa. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Are both her parents alive? Yes, they're both alive. They're they're really oh. old now. They're in their 80s, right. I believe, but they're they're still alive they're both alive that's awesome yeah nice ending to their story wow i can't oh that is a parent's worst nightmare just the worst daughter get abducted and never know where they went and you know that i mean after that much time you have to think the worst thing has happened yeah oh that is just tragic is the asshole that kidnapped her still alive? I don't know who she was. Can't. Hmm. Uh, they were never able to identify her. Oh, jeez. Well, there's a special place in hell if it exists that's <laughs> waiting for her if she's not dead already. That is just disgusting. Yeah. So Ugh. what is your chaser for this week? My chaser is an article I found that was about a dino chicken. Hmm. So, have you heard of a dino chicken? I have heard of chicken dinos, but those are chicken nuggets shaped like dinos. That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) 
Yeah, I've that'd be a pretty lame before. chaser if it was. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? My chaser dino is <laughs> dino-shaped chicken nuggets. But no, that's not what it is. So scientists have used chicken DNA to make a chicken-dinosaur hybrid. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. That's basically the tagline. And then part of the article says that they manipulated, they, they proved evolution is what it says in the article. But then when you actually find out the details, it's a little overstated. So basically what they did was they took chicken genes and they manipulated them to change the shape of the beak in the chicken embryo. So a normal pointy beak, they figured out what genes caused the pointy shaped beak and they manipulated them so that it would be shaped more like a dinosaur beak nose kind of situation. Yeah. And so the... That was their first attempt at trying to change it. So the embryos were not hatched, though. So for those people that are worried about that kind of stuff, they were not hatched. They were uh, evaluated using um, CT imaging to see that the bony structure of the beak was changed. So there are no live beak changed chicken running around out there they terminated the the embryos before they hatched the ultimate goal let it ride let's see what this thing looks like come on yeah there's some ethical things from both sides like don't one ethically should you be fucking with things probably not i mean Ultimately, has no one seen Jurassic Park? Did that work out? Not really. Yeah, but if you could mix them with chicken genes and have a chicken-sized T-Rex, I feel like that couldn't cause too many problems. Well, maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Might wipe out some small creatures, but we could live without rats. I'd rather have chicken-sized dinosaurs. It would change the ecosystem so badly. Their goal was to change the shape of the beak to look more like the snout of fossilized dinosaurs. One scientist is still working on altering the genes so that the chickens will develop long dinosaur-like tails. So the beak wasn't enough. They also want them to have long tails like dinosaurs. So they're still working on it. There's still a scientist out there who's like, hey, let's really fuck with these chickens and see what we can get them to do. So I I don't understand what's different between that and then like doing that to a human because I know that they can mess with genes to get rid of certain like deformities mm-hmm. but what's the difference between doing that in a chicken and a, a human like why why do well, we have to kill the chicken because we gave it a different beak but we can alter our code what yeah. i don't chickens a, <laughs> chickens a lot are of pretty people stupid. think that we shouldn't know. be fucking with things my only thought oh. is 
should we really be fucking with things because it's something bad's going to happen. I don't have like, for me, it's not like an ethical of like, oh, we really shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. It's more like you can't see what's going to happen as a result of us altering all these things. So maybe we shouldn't be messing with stuff. Well, you don't know until you do it. That's <laughs> that's a thing. I know, but okay. Here's a classic example, and this is super basic. Our area and our lake, decades ago, they said the mosquitoes are really bad. So let's bring in these bugs that eat mosquito larvae, and then it'll get rid of all of this bad mosquito problem. And what happened? Yeah. No. We still have a Didn't shit happen. ton of mosquitoes. <laughs> and now we have those stupid little green midges everywhere in July and August. And they're a nuisance and they're gross and they're disgusting. No, they don't bite. But you can't go outside without them landing in your food and in your drink. And when it yeah. hits dusk. They're everywhere. It's so gross. They didn't think about that. They were just like, let's get rid of the mosquito larvae. And now we have both. That's just my point. Like, you That's just don't know what's going to happen. Anyway. Yeah. I, I think some things should be done in the name of science. Like <laughs> That I want to know. I want to know if we can make dinosaurs that are chicken sized. Well, That'd be they're, so trying. Cool. they're trying. They're trying. Alrighty, I think that wraps up our show for today. Well, I had a good time listening to your scary scuba diving story, Mom. Yes. It was nice hearing about the UFO. Yes. All right. We'll talk to you later, bud. Love you. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. We would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and if you want to give us a five-star rating, we would forever be grateful. You can contact us at our email via thebrutalandbizarre at gmail.com or on our Instagram at thebrutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy.